and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. And we thank you for how your word opens us to see and behold the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray this morning that as we look at your word, that we would see something of the greatness, the beauty, the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, for we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Having finished our time in Psalm 119, our plan is to take the next four weeks and look at the cross. The heart of the Christian faith is Christ. What God has done in Christ by the Spirit. The essence of what uh, God has done in Christ by the Spirit is what took place at the cross. So we will take four weeks to look at four facets of the work of Christ on the cross. This morning we want to consider how the cross rescues us. Next week, we will consider how the cross reconciles us. The third week, uh, uh, we will consider how the cross reshapes us. And then the fourth week, we will consider how the cross redirects us. So this morning, we want to think about how the cross rescues us. A great place to begin that is to... Consider what we've just read, the passage in Colossians 3. Two things I want us to think about this morning from Colossians 2. I said Colossians 3, I meant Colossians 2. Uh, I I want us to really consider what, something of of what the, the cross rescues us from, the outcome of the cross's rescue, if you would, and then we'll consider how. Uh, how the cross rescues us, something of the operation of the cross's rescue. Let's look at these one at a time. What? What does the cross rescue us from? What is it that we are in need of rescue from? When we say that the cross rescues us, what are we saying? Well, first of all, we, what we are saying is that when Christ hung on the cross, when Christ suffered and died on that cross, that he accomplished something before God that, that pertains to us and our salvation. The way Paul said it elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 
this gospel, if you would. He said that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. When, when Christ was on the cross, he accomplished uh, what was needed to be accomplished. When Christ was on the cross, he accomplished what was necessary to be accomplished to rescue us because of our sins. So what is it that we were needing rescue from? Well, Colossians 2, verse 13, uh, frames that issue by stating something of our status or our condition from which we needed rescuing. And you, we could just say, and we, uh, us, and you were, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... What is it that we needed rescue from? There's two uh, statements here that give brief descriptions of our status or our condition from which we could not remedy this problem ourselves, from which we needed a rescuing. Paul paints here in verse 13 a very grim picture, a, a very, in a sense, hopeless uh, portrait. We exist in a condition of death because of our sins. That is, we are condemned to a sentence of death, justly so. We have a death sentence hanging over us. We were warned in Adam. Adam was warned and we were warned in Adam. Uh, in Genesis two seventeen, where God said to Adam that the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. There's the promise of a death sentence. If and when Adam rebelled against God by disobeying his orders. Oh, you say, I'm still breathing, ain't I? What do you mean uh, that I'm dead uh, in my trespasses, uh, in in the uncircumcision of my flesh? Uh, Well, yes, there is a sense in which uh, we are alive. Um, But what the Bible informs us about this current state of death that we naturally find ourselves in is, first of all, to be dead means to to be cut off from God, cut off from the source of life, the source of life and joy and peace and hope and all things that we need from God to exist and to function. And, and, And at some point, at some point, this, this death, meaning this in the current state of we're alive, but we're cut off from God, at some point, all of that catches up with us. And uh, at some point, we all stop breathing as well. 
And, and if we stop breathing, still being cut off from God, then what's next is an existence of eternal conscious torment, cut off from every single nook and cranny of the goodness and the provision of God. Now, Paul adds a a little bit further explanation in a parallel passage. Let me just read a portion of Ephesians chapter 2. He says in Colossians 2, and and we were dead in our trespasses and and in the uncircumcision of our flesh. Uh, uh, What he adds to that in Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 1, and says, And you were dead in your trespasses. Same way, but now he says, and sins, trespasses are, are just different pictures of, of, of what sin consists of. Trespasses is walking in the wrong direction. Sin is missing the mark. So, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then he adds, in which you once walked, or in other words, in which you once lived. So you were dead, but you once lived in that state of death. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. And then notice what he says, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. So while we're dead, we're still living, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were once dead even as we once lived And in that state of death, being cut off from the life of God, we followed the course of this world. We followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. You see, death depicts a heinous, Fatal spiritual condition. We exist in this first wave of death, as Paul would say in Ephesians 4:18, alienated from the life of God. Oh, we're alive. But we are blinded to our true condition. We're alive, but we're enslaved to this world, enslaved to the prince of the power of the air, even enslaved to our own ornery desires and thoughts. The world, the devil, and even our own fleshly desires hold sway over us with strong cords of fierce bondage. We exist in a realm or a sphere of death, even though we still are breathing. We are dead in our trespasses. And then the next phrase he lists there, from what do we need rescuing? Well, we need rescuing from death, from that sphere of condemnation, of being enslaved. But he also mentions, and this is a little bit odder of a phrase, it says, dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh. Going back to Colossians 2.13. That's an odd-sounding statement, particularly to our own cultural ears. 
But it wouldn't have been an odd statement uh, in, de- in Paul's day and age. Because and, I suggest to you that what it re- refers to is, is it refers to people who were without any hope. People who are dead, who have a sentence of condemnation, and people who are in the uncircumcision of their flesh. In other words, you, got, you, got, you don't have any hope of getting out of that mess. The phrase is most likely in that day and age a derogatory phrase used by the Jews in regard to the Gentiles. The Gentiles meaning that they were not a part of God's covenant promises. Circumcision was an outward sign uh, that God's people, the Jewish people, uh, had uh, uh, that symbolized that they belonged to the covenant promises of God. Again, going back to a little bit uh, fuller explanation in Ephesians 2 verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, uh, which is made by hands of flesh. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope. We were dead in our trespasses. In other words, we were judged and sentenced and cut off from the life of God. And we were of the uncircumcision of the flesh. We were were Gentiles with no covenant promises to alleviate our condition. See, what really what Paul is doing here is he's just doubling up on the description of our condition, describing what it is we need rescuing from. We are cut off from God, the source of life and peace and joy and really all things, all blessings, and we have no hope. That is, we have no covenant promises uh, that we can appeal to to remedy our condition. Now, things could have just ended right there. While you and I need a rescuing, the only one who can rescue us is the very one whom our sin has offended. The only one who can rescue us is the very one who has issued that sentence of condemnation over us. But the good news is the passage doesn't end there. It keeps going. In verse 13, again, we read... And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Here's the rescue. God made alive together with him. Speaking of him being Christ here in this passage. In other words, nonetheless, nonetheless, nonetheless that that we are in a sentence of condemnation and death by God. and, 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 And God is under no obligatory obligation. We have no hope to get any remedy out of this. One of the sweetest expressions that we would find anywhere in the pages of Scripture is this simple interruption in his flow of thought. God has enacted a rescue plan to rescue people like you and I from death and to bring us 
to life. God made alive, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Even though we were of the uncircumcision of the flesh, that it would cut off from from any obligatory promises on on the part of God. We were joined to Jesus. And and now being uh, joined to Jesus, every single promise of God is yes and amen to those who belong to Jesus. So what do we need a rescue in from? We need a rescue in from a state of condemned death from a condition of having no hope to appeal to any recourse but to linger in that state of death. And in such a condition. But God has rescued us. God has made us alive together with Christ. God has done this. We don't rescue ourselves. We cry out to God, have mercy upon us. And we're told that God rescues a people for himself. How? How does God, how did God do that? What is the the mechanism or the means or the operation of this rescue? How were we brought from death to life? How were we brought from being cut off with, without any hope of, of promises to claim, to be enjoined to Christ, who, who, who then offers us all the promises of God. Well, what Paul does next, beginning uh, at the second half of verse 13 and spilling over into verses 14 and 15, is he provides us a sequence of thought that explains how. What did he do? He brings his people from death to life, from being cut off to being joined to Christ. How, and how does he do that? In the second part of verse 13, he says, um, after he said he's made us to life together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Again, we, we were once dead in our trespasses, or, or even because of our trespasses, uh, uh, but, but now that, 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 that sentence of death and being without hope that stemmed because of our sin has been resolved through the forgiving work of God. In other words, any and all who belong to Jesus, any and all who are joined to Jesus... Guess what the status of our sins now consist of? Forgiven. A complete, full, and final forgiveness. I would just add, if you're here this morning and you don't belong to Jesus, you've never turned to him and trusted in him, then you're still under the former condition that we've just described. You've still not experienced rescue, and, and you, you, you cannot rescue yourself from this predicament. Your sins are still offending a holy God. Your sins still warrant a just sentence of condemnation before God. 
This morning, we say that not to pile up on you uh, uh, and, and not to somehow say, and that's not true with us. It never has been. We, we're good boys and girls. No, we say that to say, please turn to Christ. We've turned to Christ. We have received an alleviation of our death sentence. We have experienced going from being cut off to joined to Jesus. Turn to Christ. Trust only in Christ. For in Christ there is a full and a final and a complete forgiveness of our sins. How? See, there's a sequence of thought here. How did we go from death to life, from being cut off to joined to Jesus? How? Because we've been forgiven. Uh, well, how were our sins forgiven? Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So, uh, how, how, did we, how did we experience forgiveness? Our debt was canceled. You see, the imagery that's being painted here, this is kind of a business term, if you would, is that um, uh, our sins have accumulated a massive debt. You think the federal government's debt is massive. Which I would just add, uh, and, and I, look, I, I don't mean this to be political, uh, but do you realize that this past year and over into this year, what we have done is um, we, have, uh, we have taken out charge cards in our grandchildren's name. We get to spend the money and they have to pay the bill. Well, all that aside, that's still puny compared to how the accumulative outcome of our sin against God is a massive debt. We have before God one huge IOU, and we ain't got a job to pay that off. We don't have a job to begin starting to pay that off. How do we pay off this infinite debt that our sin has offended an infinite and holy God. I need more than minimum wage to pay that one off. He says, we canceled this record of debt. A, 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 a repayment was required. A, a payment was required because that is just and right. And yet in this business imagery here, God is the one who extended the line of credit, and it is God who needs to be paid back, and we ain't got no money to pay him back. And yet somehow, somehow we were forgiven because our, our, the, our, the record of our debt uh, 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 was canceled. This, this, in this record of debt, it says there, it stood against us with its legal demands. You talk about getting nasty phone calls from creditors wanting to know when you're going to pay back that loan. This has just got bumped up to an infinite degree. Our debt before God 
stands against us, it says. that The imagery here is, is really a notion of hostility. Our debt has indicted us. Our debt has sentenced us. And our debt has condemned us. It's demanding to be repaid. We ain't got no job. How? How did we get forgiven? How? Our debt that stood against us was canceled. How was our debt that stood against us canceled? Well, it's the next line here. This... This, this, second part of verse 14, this, referring to this, this debt that stood against us that was canceled, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What Paul is saying to us is that our debt which resulted in our condemnation, which resulted in us having no hope or promise, our debt was resolved. Payment was made. Justice was satisfied. He didn't just tear up the note and say, ah, forget about it. No, Jesus paid our debt in his own body, in his own life, with his own life and with his own precious blood. He paid it fully, finally, completely. Our debt that stood against us was stamped paid in full. Not because God swept it under the rug or turned the other way, but because God put his son, Jesus, on that cross. It was his will will to, to, to strike him as a substitute. We who deserved to go have gone to that cross didn't have to go to that cross because God put forth his son. His son willingly agreed to go to that cross to pay for our penalty. In fact, if we, if we did go to that cross, we wouldn't have paid the penalty of our own sin. Because the nature of our IOU is, is not measured by the finiteness of our sin per se. The measure of that IOU is measured by the infiniteness of God's holiness that we have offended and wronged. But in a moment in time and space, the God-man who lived a perfect life, in other words, the only one who did get it right, he went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice. And there in a moment of time, there God resolved the issue his own self by punishing a member of his own being. God the Father took out his wrath, his justice upon God the Son. God the Son bore up under our sin, took its penalty took its curse and experienced the justice of God and made a full payment. Yes. Verse 15 is a bonus verse. But wait, there's more. Not only on that cross did he pay the debt of our sins, but he goes on in verse 15, but he disarmed the rulers and authorities by putting them to open shame, by triumphing over them in him. In other words, not only did he satisfy the justice of God, but he defeated 
all that was holding us in sway. Remember what I said earlier in Ephesians 2? We were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. In other words, we were his lackeys. We had a no good rotten daddy, and he did did us no good, and yet there was no way we could break out of that bondage until Jesus hung on the cross and not only paid our debt, but he put to open shame the one who held sway over us, or as the writer of Hebrews would say it in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the power of death. That is the devil. In other words, the the devil was the embodiment of of, of this sentence of death that we lived under, that, that that, that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. At the cross, Jesus not only released us from our condition of death and having no hope, but he neutralized the one who had that power over us. Now, that's the gospel. That's the announcement of what God has done in Christ by his spirit to rescue us from our death and from being cut off. What will you and I do with that? It's, 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 it's vital that we know the mechanics of what we've been rescued from and how we have been rescued. It's, it's vital that we know that process and the outcome of that process. But just simply knowing that and fouling that away is, well, that's nice. Is to still be under the condemnation of death and being cut off from the promises of God. No, having known what God has done in Christ by His Spirit, knowing from what we've been rescued and knowing how we've been rescued through the shed blood of Christ, we gather this morning that we might profess our dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who has opened up for us life who has joined us to himself by his spirit so that now all the blessings of God's favor is upon his well-loved children in his son, Jesus. But to be joined to Jesus means that he is not some sort of side item on the periphery of our lives. To be joined to Jesus means that he is now, as he really is, He is Lord. He is the one whom we follow. He is the one whom we learn from. He is the one whom we look to. He is the one whom we rest in. He is the one whom we worship. He's the one who we depend upon. He's the one whom we love. He's the one whom we keep our eyes focused upon. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ this morning that you would be moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus. That, that we who were formerly then a people without hope, without mercy, can be a people who now have all the hope in the world and have all of the mercies of God. Turn to Christ.
turn to the one who laid down his life for people such as us. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that he has done for us. Thank you that the cross of Christ rescues a people like us. And Father, as we see this, as your spirit opens our eyes to these things, we marvel at your great mercy and your wonderful grace. Your amazing love is more than we could even probably take in or understand. But we're thankful that we have your word. We're thankful that we have your spirit. We're thankful for Jesus. So take pleasure, Father, in the very worship that's stirring in our hearts this morning as we have remembered what our Savior has done for us. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.